Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 14 through 18, in a message entitled, The Law of God, the Heart of Man, and the Beauty of Marriage. Luke, chapter 16. Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? And we're going to begin in verse 10. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts even as we heard those last words. God, would you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law, that we may delight in your truth, that we may humble ourselves before you So grant us understanding this morning by your Holy Spirit. Help us to apply these words, your words, your holy, infallible, inerrant words, the very word of God to our lives. Help us, please, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you look up the word divorce and just type it in your computer, the first things that will come up are words like these. Get divorced for $139 in Georgia. 
end your marriage easily. We'll have you ready to file your Georgia divorce in no time. Guaranteed court approval. Easy, cheap, affordable, money-back guarantee. Georgia is a no-fault divorce state, and that means that you can get divorced in Georgia for really no reason. You don't have to prove that you've been wronged. No fault is that no one is at fault for the marriage's failure. And so it's easy. People many times cite irreconcilable differences, an irretrievable breakdown, substantial incompatibility that will never be resolved. And so it's easy. It's easy in our day, it's common in fact Almost 50% of marriages in the United States end in divorce. 60% of marriages of those who have previously been divorced and married a second time, 60% of those marriages end in divorce, and 73% of those who have been divorced twice and marry another ends in divorce. And I would say that more than half of all in our congregation have been touched by divorce in some way, whether it be personally, with your own spouse you've been divorced, or your parents, or your children, most of us have been touched by a divorce. And I think that everyone in here could attest that it is some of the deepest pain that we will ever experience. Some people say it's even deeper than the death of a loved one death of a spouse, that the pain of divorce is even deeper. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke for some time, for about a, over a year and a half now, and there was a period when we got into the section on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem that we broke it down in several different mini-series one was on prayer, what Jesus said concerning prayer. One was on money and possessions. Jesus is teaching on money and possessions. And another was on Jesus' concern for the least of these. And we preached through two parables in Luke chapter 16 in the section on money and possessions. In fact, Luke chapter 16 is primarily about 
what Jesus says about money and possessions, and yet tucked right here in the middle of these two bookends of the parable of the dishonest manager and the rich man and Lazarus, we find this section in, that we're looking at today, verses 14 to 18. The law in the kingdom of God and divorce and remarriage. And we're coming back because we are going through the whole gospel of Luke. Every section, every word. And I'll tell you this, it would have been very easy to skip over this passage. I mean, we preached through Luke chapter 16 a long time ago, and y'all probably forgot that we missed these pieces. And so it would have been, my week would have been a lot easier if we had to skip this passage. But we want to be faithful in proclaiming the whole counsel of God, and so we must, we must deal with this passage. And it's as important today as it was in the first century when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and rebuking the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were the super holy people, the religious elite. They were masters at developing fine points of the law, the 613 laws that we must keep to guard us from breaking the big ones. And so they were constantly dealing in the minutia of the law and the traditions of man that they were building on top of the law so that they wouldn't break the law. And so we think of them as very concerned for the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, but the reality was they were not only masters at dealing in the minutia of the law, they were masters at justifying themselves and making a mockery of the law. You see, they accommodated the law to bring it down to justify themselves, to make themselves look good before other people. And so they modified the law. They lessened the law. They brought it down. Verse 14 says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. They were mocking Jesus. Jesus had said, you cannot serve God and money and the Pharisees had figured out ways that they justified themselves in serving God and money. And so what do you do when somebody has a different position than yours? You don't argue the position, you attack them personally, and that's what they did. They ridiculed him. And Jesus responded by saying, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. See, Jesus was dealing with the heart. He was always dealing with the heart. 
He said, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Speaking of John the Baptist, John the Baptist was considered the last of the Old Testament prophets. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. The word for dot is the word in the original language that speaks of the apex of a Hebrew letter. It could be translated as seraph in our language today. It was a distinguishing piece. It was a very small piece of the Hebrew letter. It was a stroke on the Hebrew letter. And Jesus said, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void or invalid. Albert Moeller says this, and it, it was helpful to me, and I think it will be helpful for all of us. He says this, Jesus' gospel of the kingdom does not replace the Old Testament, but fulfills it by completing and clarifying God's intent throughout Scripture. I love that. By completing it and clarifying God's intent. And that's what we see Jesus doing in his teaching all the time. He is, he's fulfilling the law in his person, in his work, his life, his ministry. He's fulfilling it by completing and clarifying God's intent throughout Scripture. Moeller goes on to say, identifying the tiniest components of the written text Jesus confirms the entire Old Testament as a valid expression of God's will for the ages. So in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will, not, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were masters at relaxing the laws to accommodate their own fleshly desires where they still looked holy in front of everybody. And we have the propensity to do the same thing. We talk about living in a culture where, where relative truth is king. Truth is relative. Your truth, my truth. 
And usually people's truth is based upon their personal circumstances, their, their personal experience, so that then your own personal experience begins to interpret what is true and define what is true. And that was happening in the same way in the first century, and it was happening in the same way all the way back in ancient history. Because as sinful humans, we're constantly trying to justify ourselves, to, to try to make ourselves look better in front of other people, to try to make ourselves look better to ourselves. So we bring down the law, God's standard, in order to make ourselves feel better or to make ourselves look better. Continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 21 of chapter 5, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He comes to fulfill the law, he completes it, and he authoritatively interprets it. He clarifies God's intention for the law. See, it's not just about looking good on the surface, it's about the heart attitude. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. See, God demands a wholehearted devotion. So Jesus clarifies that it's not just about not committing homicide. It's about what's inside that matters. Verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's about the heart, what's happening in the heart. Verse 31, it was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is clarifying God's intent for the law. The message was entitled, The Law of God, The Heart of Man, and the Beauty of Marriage. See, Jesus brings in the issue of marriage and or divorce and remarriage in this text in Luke chapter 16, because it was another way that the Pharisees were bringing down the law of God. 
They were relaxing the law of God. They were taking Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4, and granting divorces for any reason. It was just like in Georgia. I mean, literally, this could have been the Pharisees in the first century. Get divorced for 139 in Israel. End your marriage easily. We'll have you ready to file your divorce in Israel in no time. It's easy, cheap, affordable, money-back guarantee. And that would have been coming from the Pharisees. And Jesus says, God knows your hearts. He is rebuking the Pharisees. They know the law of God. They know the word of God. And yet they're relaxing it. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if anyone relaxes the least of these commandments, he is least in the kingdom of God. And anyone who teaches others to obey the commandments, he is greatest in the kingdom. Jesus is telling the Pharisees here, this is unacceptable. This is not God's intention. Your greed, your money gathering, and your licensing of easy divorces. So we could leave it there and just say, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. When I was looking in the original language in this and, and studying this, the strongest two verbs in verse 18 is the word commits adultery. Two times, commits adultery. And it's a, it's a present active indicative which means continues to commit adultery. And I looked up and there were opinions on that and people didn't like that understanding of it. They liked the idea of, well, you commit adultery once and then you move on. But that's not the grammar of the text. The text is whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, continuing and whoever marries a divorced woman from her husband commits adultery and keeps on committing adultery. And this may be offensive. And it's hard. So I want to go to Mark chapter 10 and expound on this a little bit in a parallel passage in Mark chapter 10 where it's explained a little bit more. Mark chapter 10, verse one says, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And that's a really good question. And that's a question that we should be concerned about. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I think what's so common, even in the church today, is, is to not ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, but ask, 
What are the lawful ways that I can divorce my spouse? What are the exceptions? And then what we do is we go to the exceptions and we try to fit our circumstance in the exceptions in order to justify ourselves because that's what we want. We want the divorce many times, and not all the time, but many times, and that's why divorce is so prevalent in the church and it should not be. See, the reality is that Jesus makes a difference. And Jesus makes a difference in marriage. And when you come to Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit who indwells you and empowers you to walk in his ways. And we fight indwelling sin and and there's a war going on against the flesh. But many times we do what we wanna do. And Paul says, why do I keep doing what I don't wanna do? Why, Why do I keep struggling with this? wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So so don't point your finger at the Pharisees because we all do the same thing. We all have the capacity to try to bring down the law and justify our circumstances so that we feel better about ourselves and that we look better in front of everybody else so that everybody thinks we are justified. And there are several cases that Jesus mentions. One case in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19, and Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, sexual immorality and the desertion of an unbelieving spouse, and, and those are exceptions. But Jesus doesn't get bogged down in the exceptions, and he doesn't get bogged down in the debate. He lays out God's plan and the beauty of marriage. The Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. You see, because of your sinfulness, there needed to be a commandment to protect the woman and regulate sin. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, I want you to look at the text right here in Mark chapter 10 and verses 6 and 7. But from the beginning of creation, and he quotes Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. First quote. Second quote, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, end quote. And then he comments on the text. 
So, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So, what this means, Jesus says, what these two texts in Genesis, remember, this is the law. Remember, Moses wrote Genesis 1, 27 and 2, 24, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and this is in the law, the first five books of Moses. So this is what it means, Jesus says, they are no longer two, but one flesh. There's not, they're no longer two, they're one. Ray Ortland says this, one flesh entails a lifelong, exclusive clinging of one man to one woman in one life fully shared. Marriage puts a barrier around a husband and his wife and destroys all barriers between them. They belong fully to one another and to one another only, exclusively. It's one flesh. So Jesus says, they're no longer two, but one. That's the first thing. The second thing he says is, what therefore God has joined together, the second thing he says is that this is a divine joining of two people who are now one. God has joined them. See, this was God's plan from the beginning, and this is God's institution, and this is the work of God. What therefore God has joined together, the one flesh union was wrought by God. Let not man separate. Remember they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he goes back to the law, Moses, Genesis 1, 27 and 2, 24, and he brings three conclusions. When a man and woman are married, they're no longer two, but they're one. And this joining is a work of God. It's done by God. And what God has joined together, man does not have the authority to separate. Man doesn't have the authority to break what God has joined. And that was the end of the discussion with the Pharisees. And verse 10 says, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So one of the things that we conclude with this is, well, well what do we do? We're so broken. We've all been touched by it. 
We've all experienced in some way, whether it's personally with your spouse, this kind of brokenness, this painful tearing. What do we do? Well, first thing, we, we know that Jesus came to save sinners. He came to put back together the broken. He came to forgive us. He came to a woman at the well who had been divorced five times and living with another who was not her husband. The first thing is God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Jesus came to save sinners. The gospel is for sinners. So it may be that there's some who may need to even humble themselves and recognize that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and I need him every hour. Every hour I need him. And not try to justify yourself and say, well, no, just fall on his mercy and receive forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. And we need to be the kind of congregation that comes around and, and comes beside and helps those who are feeling the weight of this kind of teaching that Jesus brings. He doesn't bring down the law to accommodate our sin, our brokenness. He holds high the law. But the other thing is that we teach a the beauty of marriage and God's plan, that when God puts a man and a woman, to, woman together, that this, this is a one flesh union that is for life. We, we say it in our vows, until death do us part. It's, it's permanent in this life. That's God's design. That's his intent, and Jesus clarifies that for us in these passages, that that is God's intent. For the first century and for the 21st century. So we don't need to compromise and bring the law down to make us feel better about ourselves. Let's hold high the law and God's plan for marriage and do everything we can to help brothers and sisters in our congregation and in our families to avoid it at all costs because it's not God's plan. John Piper says this, he says, compromises on the sacredness and lifelong permanence of marriage, positions that weaken the solidity of the covenant union may feel loving in the short run but wreak havoc over the decades. Preserving the solid framework of the marriage covenant with high standards may feel tough in the short run, but produces 10,000 blessings for future generations, and that's what I want. I want 10,000 blessings for future generations at Bull Street Baptist Church. I want to eradicate divorce from this day forward. That we would see God's plan and see it as beautiful. One flesh 
union for life. A man and a woman joined together. The two have become one and help couples glory in that reality because the reality is is bigger than them. It's bigger than us. It's the picture of Jesus Christ and his covenant relationship with his bride, the church. That's what's ultimate. And in Malachi chapter 2, God says he hates divorce. And we should hate it too, even if we've been touched by it in a very personal way, we should hate it because it's not God's plan. And we should hate it like he hates it because it tells a lie about the gospel. It tells a lie about the character of God. It tells a lie about the covenant commitment of Jesus to his people. Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Divorce says they might be able to be snatched. The covenant union might be able to be broken. Romans chapter 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and divorce says, eh, you might be separated. It's possible. And God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But divorce says it's possible for God to leave and forsake his people. That's why he hates divorce. It tells a lie about his character. It tells a lie about his covenant. And it tells a lie about the gospel. The reality is the gospel says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you will have eternal life guaranteed and no one can take it from you. Nothing can separate you from Christ. He is a faithful covenant-keeping God. And so we hold high the glory of marriage because it tells a picture about an ultimate reality of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. I want to end with this in Hebrews chapter 13. The writer to the Hebrews says this in verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. And the word held in honor means treated as precious. It's the same word that's used in Peter for the precious blood of Jesus. Marriage is to be treated as precious. And in the church, we need to treat marriage as precious. And we need to help one another and counsel one another to stand for the reputation of Jesus and his gospel and to uphold marriage as precious. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's interesting that in our passage in Luke, 
Jesus deals with the love of money and the sanctity of marriage. And the propensity of the human heart to go after its own fleshly desires rather than to surrender to the eternal law of God that is good and glorious. May we be a people who tremble at the word of God, who trust the Lord Jesus, that what he says is right and good, and that we would help each other labor faithfully to guard marriage and ultimately guard the reputation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would humble us, that we would all see that we need a perfect Savior because none of us have the righteousness required to stand in your presence. We need a righteousness that is not our own, the perfect righteousness of Christ. For it doesn't matter how good we are, our righteousness is as filthy rags, and we need to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So Lord, just humble us today that we would consistently see our need for the Savior in every way in our lives, and that we would not justify ourselves, that we would not bring down your, your law in order to make ourselves feel good about ourselves or in order to make us look good in front of other people. Lord, help us to just fall into your arms, receiving your mercy. Your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is sufficient for us to do everything that you've called us to do. So may we be your holy people who help one another and have compassion on one another and support one another and at the same time that we would hate divorce because it tells a lie about who you are and the beauty of your gospel. So Lord, help us to hold those in tension. That we would tell the truth and that our words would be full of grace and truth. And that we would love one another enough to speak the hard truths like Jesus did right here. So have mercy upon us, Lord, have mercy. And help us for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.